You've probably heard the common advice that you need to pay off all your debt except for your mortgage before you can start investing. It's so common that some gurus have baby steps that put investing at step four after paying off debt and getting your emergency fund fully stocked. Dave's prescriptive money rules don't tell the whole story. In fact, if I'd followed this advice, I'd have a much smaller portfolio today. And side note, I still have student loan debt that I'm not in any hurry to pay off. But that's something for a later episode. In this episode, we're going to talk about why it's okay to start investing, even if you have debt. Welcome to It Doesn't Make Sense, where even when you're doing money wrong, you're still doing it right. Season one is all about digging into debt. Is it a moral failing or can some debt actually be a tool for a better life? We're going to cover all the angles. So Miranda, I'm sure you already know this because we've probably talked about this for a bajillion hours is that there's like a lot of prescriptive money rules and they see debt technically as the same like they're all bad I know that you and I've written about some of these nuanced takes but a lot of the articles that we've also read or some of the other advice we've heard kind of acknowledge that some debt is necessary but it's not your BFF or something like you just need to get rid of it ASAP so you'll have these 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 folks that kind of inject some nuance into it, like, okay, well, we understand that you might have to buy a car, or we understand that you can't buy a house without a mortgage, and we know that you probably need to pay for school with student loans. This is debt that's okay. This is the good debt. They do the good debt, bad debt, whatever, trying to assign a moral value to it. The reality of the situation is it's like, okay, well, it's, it's debt. <laughs> and it doesn't have a moral value assigned to it. But people are like, hey, any amount of debt is icky. And so the goal should be to pay it off as soon as humanly possible, regardless of the type of debt it is, regardless of what your financial situation is. Your first step should be to just pay off as much debt as humanly possible. And then you can start doing other things with your life. And that, in some cases, includes investing. And when they talk about this, a lot of the time, the main thing that they'll do is say like, okay, you can keep your house debt and start investing, but everything else has to be paid off before you can start investing. That just feels like you are missing out on some years of compounding growth when you do that. For listeners who don't know, the idea of you know, keeping your mortgage and investing is because mortgage is, you know, quote unquote, good debt, right? And so we covered mortgage in the first episode of the season where is mortgage a form of investing? It Does it build you wealth? Is it something that really helps you in terms of that and even then the conventional advice was like pay off your mortgage as fast as possible right that's something i think is always in the background where it's like pay off your debt pay off your debt like not like little elves are coming out in the middle of the night and like whispering that in your ear but but i'm sure that there are lots of messages in the form of articles or books and even social media posts that that really emphasize that or, or reinforce that one of the ones that are the loudest about this is it's probably everybody's favorite friend dave ramsey he has his baby steps program and to some degree it can be very helpful and very useful like it it forces you to sit down take a look at like an order of operations to try and get your financial life in order. I think this idea that you need to pay off all of your non-house debt before you can start investing, I mean, and plus like fully fund your emergency fund before you start investing, for a lot of people, like you're going to get stuck on baby step one, two, and three, depending on how your situation turns out, depending on various factors like luck, the economy, 
<laughs> whether you lose your job, whether you have a health problem. And so by not starting investing until all of these other three things are accomplished ahead of time, who knows if you're ever going to make it there, right? I just want to quote like offer some quotes from this article and we'll definitely link it to it in the show notes. And I'm not going to get into the type of language that this writer uses. That could be a whole other episode. Okay, yeah. Let's have some quotes. This is the section after where the author wrote about the different baby steps. So in case anybody doesn't know, baby step one is your have a starter emergency fund. Step two is pay off all your debt. And then step three is now you're going to put more money into your emergency fund. So it's not only you're not investing after you pay off your debt, you are now putting more money into a, a let's say, a high savings, high interest savings account to fund your emergency fund. So I quote this, trust us and the people who've become millionaires with this plan. If you do st each step in order, you'll get where you want to be because you don't owe anything to anyone. You can invest way more of your income. And listen, how much money you invest is just as important as the actual act of investing. So do we want to dissect this quote, Miranda? Because I see, I see your face and the gears are turning on your brain. First of all, they place a lot of store on like becoming a millionaire. And for me, investing is really about how are you creating a life you want to live? And just becoming a millionaire is not the goal, right? Like, okay, so you have a million dollars. Now what? And are you going to put off life until you get there? So, you know, whatever, that's, that's fine. But it's like, it says you have to do each step in order to get where you want to be. And if this was the case, then I would be where Dave Ramsey and Ramsey Solutions thinks I should be. But I'm actually where I want to be right now. And I won't have my student loan debt paid off until 2030. That means you cannot invest, Marina, for another seven years. Or I need to put all of the money that I've put into my portfolio. I should take the money that I've been putting into that and putting into my travel fund and all of these other goals that I use for investing. Instead of doing those things, I should just be throwing it all at my student loan debt, which has a 1.9% interest rate. So I can get that guaranteed 1.9% return instead of the they say what the research says about 9% annualized returns for the last 25 years in the S&P 500. So if I was following this advice, okay, I probably would have had my student loans paid off probably about 10 years ago is when I would have had them paid off. I'd have to take a look back at where my money was going when I was married and how I didn't get to choose where all the money went all the time. I look back on that and I was just like, I'd have all my student loans paid off, but I sure as shit wouldn't have gone to China this year. I think I'd rather have the student loans at 1.9% and have gone to China. Before we go into more of your story, I do just want to point out the article. And so I am not a financial advisor. I just want to really put that at the forefront. This is not financial advice, all the usual legal compliance. I, I find this interesting because there, and we'll get to this later in the episode, is that there are a lot of other solutions for people who may not have that much to invest at the moment that they can actually open a brokerage account and, and start investing with as little as few dollars, right? We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. I just, I'm just really interested in this idea of how long you've been investing for actually, Miranda. So I first started investing, I think I want to say probably about 2003. Okay. So about 20 years. So been, less, oh, wow. Yeah. 20 years. I've been investing okay. for 20 years. Okay. So, so I mean, I'm not going to make you dig into your brokerage statements. That's a little too invasive. <laughs> and also, and also that would be very boring. 
<laughs> yes, not to us, but maybe maybe to listeners. But um, I would be really curious in terms of comparing like how much you would be able to invest after you were debt free in seven years, right, versus the money that you have been contributing to for the past 20. And if we want to count the another seven years before you are completely debt free, so then 27 years, right, like comparing that to the time that you've had in the market, really, like that, that would be really interesting to think about, because this feels a little too sort of, I don't want to say one sided, but it, it just feels a little too prescriptive for my liking, because the, the answer is like, you don't know. Hmm. If investing more money, right, this is how I'm interpreting this quote, is like investing more money is actually more important or equally as important as having more time in the market. Like that, that would be just something really interesting to think about. I don't have the answer to it, but it's just, yeah, something I'm going to think about. Yeah, and that is something worth thinking about. And so I think for our show notes, now that you've brought that up, I'll go ahead and play with some online calculators and see if I can figure that out. And we'll have some comparisons for you. Okay, great. <laughs> make sure, yeah, make sure you head to it doesn't make sense.com. So now, Miranda, it is it is my turn to grill you about your. Uh, I can't even I can't even be serious with this part. Someday is, we're gonna have to grill you about things. I'm okay with that, but today it's it's just you, girl. It's just you. Part of the issue here <laughs> is that most of the time I'm the one who's done the money wrong. <laughs> I have not been following what I'm supposed to do, or at least what the finance bros tell me I'm supposed to do. I have not been doing what Dave Ramsey has told me. Oh. Do I do I have to out you to Dave, Miranda? Is that what you're trying to say? I haven't been blocked on Twitter yet, quite frankly. I feel like I, I don't get to have my, my credentials as a semi-progressive personal finance content creator because Dave hasn't blocked me yet. I guess you better get on that, right? I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually interested in hearing about your experience investing, even while you still have student loan debt. Yeah, I think for the most part, uh, it, it's, it's super boring. Basically, I was just like, oh, well, let's start investing. And my very first investment account was uh, I did have access to a 401k. And so I just put a very small amount of my paycheck, like, oh gosh, it was probably like 2% maybe of my paycheck. There was no match. Unfortunately, my company didn't offer in a match where I was working at the time when I started. So I just put in a small amount of the paycheck. And then after about a year, my then husband and I decided that we want to do Roth IRA. So we decided to open that up and we're like, okay, well, we can spare 50 bucks a month. And at the time, right, he was still in school. We had a little bit of credit card debt. We had my student loans because I had finished my undergrad. And But we were like, you know, we can put $50 a month into this Roth IRA. We just put it in and it was just an all market fund. It was an actively managed mutual fund with lots of fees. We learned things later. But over time, the idea here was over time was we slowly started saying, okay, well, we can increase what we have. Okay, we've paid down some of our debt. We paid down this high interest credit card debt. So as we pay down this high interest credit card debt, and it's not pulling on us much more, okay, now let's start investing $100 a month. And just slowly increasing that. And part of what we did too, was a few years later, we opened a 529 for my son. And we were like, we're putting stuff into retirement. We've got the 401k, we've got the Roth IRA. Well, now let's go ahead and we can afford 25 bucks a month into this 529. It was just very small amounts because we were like, okay, we want to make sure that we're covering our bills. We want to make sure that we're actively paying down some of this debt. 
Uh, and then later on, we had to move across the country to go to grad school. And then we had a personal loan to help us pay to move across the country. But we kept that dollar cost averaging, even though it was small amounts, we kept that idea of making sure we're investing what we can and we're putting money in there. And we're increasing it a little bit as we see an increase in our discretionary income. As life goes, my son ended up being speech delayed. We needed some services, some medical stuff. He had ear problems. And so now we're paying medical bills. We're still making sure that that investing is a priority. And now I can pay for my son's school <laughs> and I have a decent portfolio. I, I do want to just go back to that point about the 401k match. So if you live in the U.S. and you have the advantage of a 401k or 457b for, I believe it's teachers and some government workers, is that, of course, not in your case, but very commonly, many employers will match it. And so what that means is that they will actually contribute towards your 401k, uh, maybe a certain percentage of your paycheck or a certain percentage of what you have contributed. I consider that free money or it's part of your compensation package, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you are not investing in a 401k, you are missing out on that match. What's a common percent, maybe up to 6%. I think that used to be pretty common. So a lot will match half your contribution to the 401k up to 6% of your income. And so that's one way to just get that money. If you say, oh no, I'm not going to be doing this until after all of my debts paid off, you are missing out. You are leaving that money on the table. So I'm going to do some Googling or calculations because my skills are not that great. Let's say you have a $50,000 or you get, you make $50,000 and you contribute 6% of your paycheck. That is $3,000 that you are contributing every year to your 401k. So half of that would be $1,500 from your employer that you don't really have to do any additional work for. So if you were to not invest, you would be missing out on $1,500 a year. And that's not even counting the interest or anything that you could be earning while it's sitting in your, four, or your not your 401k, the investments that are housed in your 401k, right? And if you've worked in your company, let's say for five, 10 years, that is, let me do some calculations again, because my brain is not that great today. So 1,500 times, let's say 15, it is $22,500 from your employer. Again, not counting the returns that you could be earning. Mm -hmm. And that's money that someone will have left on the table. Let's say you work 20 years for this company, you're only getting, and you'd start investing maybe, let's say, 15 years later, you're only getting five years worth of contributions. So we've talked a lot about the money and the sort of logical considerations. And, and Marini, the truth is your, your story is not unique in that there are people who do have life things that happen, right? They don't necessarily have the practical ability to put their life on hold for several years or more while they're paying off debt. So, you know, at the time I had my husband, he was finishing school. My son was in preschool setting that money aside helped a lot. And it's something that just made sense to us to start building that good habit of investing and also learning how to holistically approach our finances. So even if it's just a small amount, being able to be like, okay, let's look at this all together, look at the things that we hope to accomplish, and what are the small things that we can do within our circumstances to work toward 
what we want our lives to look like in a holistic way rather than you know just having this prescription of like okay you do this and then you do this next thing and you can be working on more things at once and the idea that you have to follow this order of operations trips people up but when something unexpected happens you don't know what to do <laughs> and you can't adapt because you're trying to follow this strict formula but the strict formula doesn't account for for life life is messy and the reason I really haven't talked about my experience investing before paying off all my debt is because my, my situation is a little bit unique. So I was uh, living overseas for over a decade. One of the things my husband and I prioritized, we didn't have that much left in our both our respective student loan payments. And we both felt it was important actually to be debt free before we got married. We didn't want to bring baggage, quote unquote, because we already have enough. I already have enough mental baggage. Like he doesn't need financial baggage <laughs> to right in the marriage. So that was one that we was like, oh, I can easily pay this off. And number two, most of our expenses were pretty low. We were living in China and in our contract in the two schools that we, where we worked at together, we had housing taken care of. We were able to walk to school. We didn't own a car just because it doesn't make sense to own a car in China. And I wouldn't even know how to go about purchasing one. There were a lot of different factors where it made it, and I'm going to air quote this, like easier for us to say, hey, let's open up a uh, brokerage account. Let's put some money in mutual funds, right? And, and so for me, if I really wanted to follow those baby steps, it would have been much, much easier for me just because my expenses were that low. Neither my husband and I really had debt. Another story I do want to share. So in another podcast that I did before starting this one with Miranda is called Beyond the Dollar. And so there was a guest, I was a listener and she came on and it was, the story was quite a doozy. So I'll link to that in the show notes as well, where she, she was manic depressive slash bipolar. And so she had to save up an incredibly huge emergency fund because she knew she would have episodes like she actually turned herself in she called the police because she's like I have a gun and I don't know if I'm gonna use it I don't know the exact term so it it was a like a mental health division of the police department and I'll, I can leave that in show notes too once I know the exact name and so somebody came and talked to her they took her gun they took her into a, a facility and I believe the facility costs I think it's like over 10 grand mm -hmm. and so for her I didn't really get into weeds of investing with her but it was one of those where she was very clear about her situation it wasn't smooth sailing she knew that there were going to be disruptions in her personal life that would affect her financial situation and so for her whether or not she invested again i don't know but it made sense for her to have this massive emergency fund so that she can pay these medical bills if insurance doesn't kick in or if it doesn't cover it if she cannot go to work and all of those things so so looking at finances in a holistic way is really really important my philosophy is always life first, money second, because it's really important to look at what is happening in your life and then how does money come into it. And I feel like sometimes, and not just Dave, but there are many others that really focus on the strategies and the tactics and the numbers before even some of the emotional considerations or the, the situation that somebody is in. Part of that too is debt, like focusing so heavily on debt and paying off that debt is really kind of a backward facing thing, right? Because you're you're trying to fix something, whether it was a medical issue that put you into medical debt, whether it was getting a credit card at 
age 18, when your frontal lobe isn't fully developed, whatever it is, right? Whether it's the fact that you needed student loans if you were going to go to school and get the career you wanted, whatever it was. But paying off that debt is always backward facing. And so it can feel overwhelming and it can feel frustrating as you're working on that. And sure, you can think about like, okay, I can picture my life without this debt, but what are you doing to enjoy your future, right? How are you investing in your future? And how are you moving forward with that? And I think investing for the future can help you feel motivated because there's this thing called prospection and allows you to look forward to something and provide positivity. And it has good mental health effects. And we'll have some links to things from like research from Berkeley and this book about that and how being able to look forward to the future can help you. And investing, even if it's just a few dollars a month, investing and saying like, hey, I am investing for retirement. I am investing so I can go on this trip. I am investing so that my child doesn't have to get student loans like I had to get student loans. Whatever it is, whatever that motivation is, you can put that into the future and know that you're working toward that and that can help keep you going and even help you stay motivated to keep paying off your debt because you're doing both of those things at the same time. Um, I just want to quote a little bit about the article. Um, I thought this was really interesting. So in the article, it, it talks about this study where it showed that participants who felt closer to their future selves were more willing to wait for a larger reward than those who anticipated changing. And the same was true when they were asked to make decisions on behalf of a fictional character who they knew would go through a life-changing event, which <laughs> that one's a little interesting. But it's really, I think, when we go back to talking about life holistically, and I, I completely understand this because I, I do get into that mode is where if you're constantly thinking about the present, right? Like where I'm paying this debt, I'm paying this debt, or I'm doing this. You can, you can really lose sight of like, there is a potential future ahead of you. And the more disconnected you are from that part of yourself, which is again, a holistic view of your life, not to get super existential, like you can never predict the future. But if you don't keep a possible one in mind, I guess my question is what what's going to happen. And I do want to add, and this is, I think we, we sort of alluded this previously, like kind of a little bit earlier when we we're talking about like how much you invest versus the time in the market is that there are a lot of products, apps and things like that, even maybe one that's through your bank or your budgeting app that can help you open an account for little to no minimum. So even if you don't feel like you can invest now, there's nothing wrong with opening a brokerage account and just clicking around and seeing what's available. How much really do I need to then put this into a exchange traded fund or a mutual fund or or buying an individual stock if that's what you want to do or whatever that is, right? I think familiarizing with some of these platforms might be the tiniest step into getting you motivated and convince you to be like, hey, actually, I can do this. There are also other ones where it rounds up your purchases and takes that change and then invests it into an investment account. You could start investing for even less than a dollar. I don't have a lot of these products, but I could see that if you're paying something for like, I don't know, five sixty nine, and then it rounds up to $6, that's 31 cents that you have put towards stocks or bonds or whatever investment that it, these apps do. Just even that little bit is really like envisioning your future self. You, you want to feel like, yes, the debt is probably weighing you down. It can be a huge weight and it is hard. And, and sometimes, and I know that there were times when I would feel like way back in the day when I did have a lot of credit card debt and we did get the personal loans for moving and it would feel like, oh my gosh, never going to get ahead, never going to be able to get out of this cycle. But then when I would look and see like, oh, 
like this is how much the retirement account has grown. Oh, this is how much we've got saved for my son's college. Then I would be like, okay, yes, there's still something happening in the background automatically that we are going to have a better future and we'll get out of this debt eventually. (laughs) And part of that was motivating to be like, okay, imagine now it's growing this much with the small amount I'm putting in. Now what happens when I put a little bit more toward the debt reduction and I have more money to put into the investment account later with a debt reduction and doing both of them at the same time also helps keep me motivated to keep paying down the debt and find ways to put more toward debt repayment. Because we had that set dollar cost averaging amount that we were putting toward the investments each month. So anything extra went to to reduce debt, anything extra on top of like our regular debt reduction, plus our small amount of investing, if we had something extra like a windfall or whatever, yeah, that went toward reducing the debt 100%. But having that investment account is what helps us go, yes, (laughs) we've got this thing that we're working toward the future as well as paying off this past debt. And imagine how much faster it's going to grow once we get this debt paid off. But doing it at the same time for me personally is what helps keep me motivated and keep me in that space to, to pay down some of that debt. I'm going to use the metaphor of a hamster on a I know, hamster wheel. And I say this because there's 48% of Americans say they rely on credit card um, to cover essential purchases. And so that's almost half, right? And so people are just basically paying credit cards. May, they may not be making paying off the full balance every month. So they're really just mm-hmm. continually on this cycle of paying off debt. And are they ever going to get that off that hamster wheel, which means that they invest and they can grow their wealth and have money for their golden years. There really is no shame in having that debt. But the key is really figuring how to get off that hamster wheel. And if you think about it, the, re- the reality is MIT, and we'll link this in the show notes, calculates that the living wage in the US is $25.02 per hour. However, the U.S. federal minimum wage is still $7.25, and then the average hourly earnings of all the employees in the U.S. is $11.05. So the average is even less than half of what is needed, and then the federal minimum wage is about a quarter, I'd say, of what is required. And so if your income cannot match what's needed, and you are continually in debt, and you're looking for a way out, and if there is a way to do that, whether it's investing $3 consistently over 30 years or more, I would like to say it's hopefully taking a step in the right direction. I mean, I would love to see you earn more. I think that's, that is the solution there as well. But but it's one of those two where if you're in that situation that you're right, like it does, it can give you some hope and like, hey, actually, you know what, maybe I can see a way out of this. And my son doesn't have debt. I mean, he has, he has credit cards, he pays them off. He doesn't always pay the balance off every single month, but he does the thing where he makes sure that nothing he buys, he can't pay off within two or three months. But I got him started. He's a student. I was like, hey, we looked at his budget. We're like, okay, $5 a week, afford to do $5 a week. And after a few months, he was so excited about seeing the growth there that he was like, I think I can do $10 a week. And so, so just upping that, and I think part of what you're talking about is like, sure, maybe you can only do three bucks a week. Maybe you can only do 50 bucks a month, whatever it is. But over time, you can start increasing that amount. And as you see results, you'll want to increase it more, I think. 
ultimately is is really checking how you feel like what is what's going on right like you can Mm -hmm. look at the numbers if you truly cannot afford it right there are such like if you are making 725 an hour and you are really struggling with credit card debt or rent or things like that and there there is seriously no room and and i get that then it's one of those where maybe you just have to revisit investing another time or is it one of those where yeah you probably do have some room in in your budget or in your spending plan whatever you want to call it and maybe it's like a mindset shift right then it's really thinking about like how do I want to think about it approach it in a way that will make me feel better about this decision so how do we decide right now we've decided that it's okay to invest even if you have debt we've got to start deciding okay how are we going to divvy this all up some things to think about as we get started is first of all over the last 25 years the S&P 500 has offered about a net at 9% annualized returns some of the things some people say is if you have an interest rate of 5% or lower maybe you don't pay it all off before you start investing although high interest credit card debt can be counterproductive in some ways like I'm not saying you have to pay all of your high interest debt off before you start investing Investing. I'm just saying, let's consider where we're at and say that before I decide I'm going to aggressively attack the debt that is 6% or 5% or whatever you decide that number is or lower in rate, let's think about, well, where can I get the best return, best bang for my buck? And that's one of the reasons why I haven't paid off my student loans yet. I am fortunate that my student loan interest rate is 1.9%. And so I get a better bang for my buck just plugging away at the old minimum rate that they gave me and putting the money I would put toward paying down my student loan debt, I get a better overall return putting it into the S&P 500. So now maybe you have rates that are above 15%. So maybe what you do is you focus more on those credit cards, or if you have payday loans or personal loans that have a rate above 15%, maybe you focus on that really, really hard and then work out a different system after that. But really think about how that looks overall and how you want to do this. You can even pause. So like maybe you do invest, let's say for several years, and then you suddenly have a high interest debt, maybe a personal loan, you need to pay for medical bills or whatever that mm-hmm. is. And you realize, you know what, like actually my priority right now is paying off this 15% debt. And this is a five-year term. I'm going to pause investing for five years. I'm going to tackle this. And then after that, I'm going to put money back or it could be this is more important than to me than the investing maybe I'll just invest ten dollars a month and then everything else goes towards the debt so there are ways I, I don't think that just because you start investing you have to consistently invest the same amount or you have to consistently increase the amount that you invest there's really no hard and fast rules again life changes like life happens right different situations come up I know that when my son was born my finances were significantly different than before that <laughs> And investing was one of those where we we had to really revalue. Now that we're spending more money on diapers, can we continue to put the amount that we've been putting? I was talking earlier about like, oh, well, you can gradually increase what you're putting in. Well, sometimes maybe you need to pull back and shift your focus. One of the things that I did was I kind of took a percentage-based approach. So I talked about putting toward retirement, putting toward the 529. So what what I used to do back in the day was put 10% of my available income toward retirement investing, 5% of that available income toward the 529, and then the remaining 85% went toward debt reduction. But then as higher interest rate debt was paid down and the income went up, I started shifting the allocation. So the, and, and I did that even before the debt was paid off so that I could shift around a little bit and say, well, now that this really high interest rate debt is paid off, 
I'm going to start putting 15% toward retirement and 10% toward the 529. So now that's 25%. And now that I've got that 15%, now I'm only putting 75% of my available toward debt reduction. And then it just like slowly shifted, shifted, shifted based on our goals, what was happening, where the income was. If I had a really bad freelancing month or a very bad freelancing year, then maybe we pulled back some of the investing a little bit and so that we wouldn't get into further debt. It was really kind of an approach where it was like, take a step back, see where we're at, and then adjust. Going back to the 401k example, if you're able to put money towards that, that's great. It could even just be, let's say, 1% of your income. So I'm going back to my $50,000 salary, (laughs) and I'm trying to calculate this in my head. If not, I'm going to go to a calculator. But, you know, 1% of $50,000 is 500. So if you can invest $500, $500 a year, um, that's going to come to about 41-ish dollars a month. If you're able to afford, yeah, more or less, right? Like $41.66 if you really want to get technical. And I use a calculator for that, everyone. I'm not that. (laughs) I'm not that good at mental math. I've got my my phone out and I'm using the calculator function. (laughs) So if, if you're, let's say you're able to do that, then you do at least get the company match. And let's say do they, they match half of that. So then you're basically getting then like a free $20 and 50 some odd cents a month that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And so that's better than nothing. And I, and I do believe, and I, I will find a resource in the show notes if I am able to, to find something a bit more definitive. But I do know anecdotally that a lot of employers have now opted into these types of 401k plans or administrators where you are actually automatically enrolled in investing 1% of your income. I think you can opt into increasing that by 1% each year, if I'm not mistaken. So in some cases, you're already automatically invested. And so you may not even miss that money. The $40, again, really depends on your income and what you what your needs are. But that money may not, you may not even miss it, right? I'm not even going to use a latte example, like, but you know what I mean, like $40 <laughs> please, a month. for the there love are- of all that is holy, please. Please don't tell me I can't have my latte. <laughs> <laughs> two and a half movies. You could have watched two and a half movies. Um, so it's really one of those where, again, really think about that idea of, do you really need that much? And if there's already some sort of support system in place and you can take advantage of it, why not? So Miranda, what's uh, what's a takeaway for this episode? So I think... The main takeaway is you just to not assume that you had to put your life on hold to pay off all or most of your debt before you can invest. Instead, take a look at your finances holistically, work on multiple goals at once if you're comfortable with that. Because there's just so much that can derail you as you move forward. So there's nothing wrong with building different foundations in various areas of your finances. I think about your risk tolerance, because a lot of the time, that's something to think about too, because you want to be able to sleep at night. So if the thought of this debt is making you feel sick inside and you cannot sleep at night, then go ahead, pay it off before you invest that's totally fine because we're not saying that you must invest. What we're saying is just think about it and think about what is going to help you sleep better at night, prepare for the future and feel good. And so today's resource is actually written by Miranda and it's an article on how do you invest or how do you start investing even if you have student loan debt. So please check that out in our show notes. 
Thank you everyone for listening and our next episode is all about cars. We are about to basically break the biggest or actually not me Miranda I'm calling out again because I do it I break all the rules it's how we do here it's how we do here. So uh, so anyway so most people including Miranda calling out again uh, is going to break the quote unquote biggest personal finance rule of them all and we're going to talk about why financing a new car might be a better decision than buying a used car with cash thanks for joining us on it doesn't make sense the best way to support our nuanced approach to money is to share it with a friend subscribe to it doesn't make sense on whatever podcast player you use for resources and show notes head to it doesn't make sense.com we also accept appreciation in the form of a refreshing beverage via Ko-Fi or coffee, whatever. We don't care. We'll drink it. Just head to ko-fi.com slash it doesn't make sense, no apostrophe, and provide us with a fortifying drink.